today on CityCast Salt Lake. If you haven't received the gospel of fry sauce yet, buckle up, because Utahns are obsessed with it. But why is fry sauce our one true love? And who invented it? The Beehive Editor-in-Chief Meg Walter is on the case and here. Today is Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. I'm Ali Bayarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Hi, Meg. Welcome back to CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, good to be here. I know it's been a really slow week in the news, so I'm glad I could be here to (laughs) bring you this story I've broken wide open. Uh, I feel like what we're eating is always news. Sure. It's important. (laughs) Let's talk about fry sauce. First, I feel like for anyone who might not have might be living in this state and not have yet been introduced to fry sauce, which there might be there might be three of you out there listening. What Mm -hmm. is fry sauce and what isn't it? Okay, what let's start with what isn't, because I feel like in the last decade, we've gotten really fast and loose with what fry sauce is Mm. by calling anything you dip a fry in fry sauce. (laughs) And uh, that's just not the case. A fry sauce is a mayo and ketchup. Those are the two primary ingredients, mayo and ketchup. Okay. Those two mixed together. Now, you can get fancy and you can add chopped up pickles. You can add Tabasco. Mm -hmm. You can add a variety of spices, but your two base ingredients have to be ketchup and mayo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just this last weekend, I was at a bachelorette party out of state and somehow fry sauce came up, which I think is an exciting new development in the world of bachelorette parties. And I I was like, oh, it's ketchup, mayo, and sriracha. Which after I read your piece, I was like, no, it's not. I'm just lying to the world. (laughs) I mean, it can be, you know, based on where you go. Sriracha, sure, can be a complement to the ketchup and the mayo, but it is not a primary ingredient and is absolutely not a requirement to be fry sauce. Okay. Okay. Besides dipping fries in it, which I assume is its namesake, where else are you putting fry sauce? Like, I mean, on the burger. On the burger. Which is every burger you get in Utah that's Utah uh, originated. So hires, crown burgers, they have the actual sauce on the burger. And I have a confession. I have never actually had a burger from Arctic Circle, Mm. but I assume they have the sauce on that burger since they are, as they claim, the inventors of fry sauce. Yeah, Yeah, let's get into that because you went on a journey to figure out who invented fry sauce. I mean, the twists and turns this story took, truly wild. It was. And what's interesting to me about it is like the fry sauce market doesn't seem that competitive. Like everyone was really friendly about their own claim that they invented fry sauce. It seems like although stalwart. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Very complimentary at the same time, very much uh, firm about the part they played in the fry sauce origin story. So ask anybody, Mm -hmm. as I did, I asked literally everybody I know who invented fry sauce. And the answer you get is Arctic Circle. Someone within Arctic Circle. Um, No dispute. However, what is disputed is who within Arctic Circle mm. invented fry sauce. Do you want to hear? You want to hear the dispute? Yeah. Okay. So, 
Arctic Circle at the time was a little bit smaller, but they had some franchises, right? And so if you ask Arctic Circle, it was the founder uh, who invented it, mixed the pink sauce, mixed the ketchup and mayo, and they started selling it. Bada bing, bada boom. However, there is a little drive-in in Provo called Stans. It's since relocated to Salem. Stans used to be, I used to go to Stans all the time in college, like just like divey burgers, mm-hmm. shakes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have a plaque in their restaurant that said they invented fry sauce. And their story goes that at the time, they were an Arctic Circle franchise. And they invented fry sauce. And then someone from corporate asked if they could distribute fry sauce through the rest of the uh, franchises. And they gave permission. However, they never got the credit. Ron Taylor, who's the guy that actually mixed the ketchup and the mayo together, never got the credit from Arctic Circle for inventing fry sauce. The injustice. Yeah, I believe Stan's because it sounds similar to the Hot Cheetos story. What is the Hot Cheetos story? Well, basically, well, I it was and maybe already happened going to be a Lifetime movie coming to a TV near you. <laughs> and, and it was going to be starring... What's his name who played A.C. Slater on Saved by the Bell? Oh, uh, yeah. Who hosts like all the Miss America stuff. Yeah, I absolutely know his name, but it's not coming to me right now. Anyway, basically, the Hot Cheetos story is like it's much disputed, but uh, many people believe there was an employee working at Cheetos who invented Hot Cheetos and never got the credit for it. So you remember that Mad Men episode where Don Draper wins the award for best ad, which is apparently a thing people in the advertising world (laughs) win awards. Yeah. And Peggy's like, that was my idea. Yeah. And he said, you gave me a kernel of an idea. I think about that a lot. And I think about that with this story. Like it was an Arctic Circle franchise, right? And Mm. if you're working at Arctic Circle, is everything you create a part of Arctic Circle or does Stans deserve more credit than we're giving it? Yeah, hard to say. Although it is interesting that Stans is no longer an Arctic Circle. And I have to wonder if that all comes back to this dispute. It must, right? <laughs> I hope. I, I want to believe that there is a long, dark history of dispute between Stans and Arctic Circle. Who do you think invented fry sauce? Do you think it's Stans? I think we've all invented fry sauce every time we've had a hamburger. Like it happens mm. accidentally, right? Who who intentionally mixed it together? I mean, I don't want to be sued for libel, but I do think it stands. Yeah. Like I do think, but I don't know how we can give them better credit than we're giving them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You so in this story, you reported how much fry sauce is being consumed by sort of the some of the major fry sauce players. Uh-huh. I'm going to read this. Hires Big H sold over 12,000 gallons of Hires hamburger and fry sauce in 2021. Arctic Circle pours 45 gallons of fry sauce per day. That's staggering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I try and picture 45 gallons of fry sauce, it's it's like an uncomfortable image for me. Um, <laughs> why are we so obsessed with this stuff? Um, do you like fry sauce? I do. I, I mean, I like sauces. I'll dip anything in anything. 
why are we so obsessed with this stuff? I, I mean, it's like, why are we so obsessed with anything that makes anything better? You know, yeah. like you once you once you've popped, you can't stop. It's you once you've had fry sauce, you're not going to eat fries without fry sauce. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to these places. Obviously, you're getting fry sauce with it. And I think it speaks to how much business these places are doing, the amount of fry sauce they're going through. Mm -hmm. It's just part of eating a burger and fry meal in Utah. And we apparently eat a lot of burgers and fries in Utah. Yeah. To your point about how we all invented fry sauce, like once you feel personally connected to a thing, in particular an eating habit, like you feel responsible for for spreading the gospel. You know, like I remember how I used to eat fries was mayonnaise and vinegar. And it's because I was at a theme park as a child and saw a very cool looking older girl doing that. And I just like kind of adopted it. And then, yeah, I think I liked it. I mean, I think it's a delicious way to eat fries, but mostly it just became about the fact that that was how I ate fries. And so I had to rep it and I had to rep it hard. I feel like every time we're on this show, we we come back to this every time I'm on the show, we come back to this theme of identity and how these kind of funnier Utah-centric things direct us back to our identity. What's your identity in relation to fry sauce? Were you Have you always eaten it? Are you someone who has moved into the state and is new to it? Do you hate it? And that makes you different from everyone else mm. in Utah? You know, is that your personality? Mm -hmm. You're not a fry sauce eater. It's something that gives us a reference point within our community. And it's something we all rally behind, whether we like it or not, it's ours. And we have opinions about it and we talk about it. And in that way, it brings us together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, food traditions are such a powerful way of establishing a sense of place and community. And I think one of the things that also Utah gets flack for a lot is that we don't have culture or that our culture is vanilla and so like <laughs> leaning into things that give us our own flavor in like a both a literal and a theoretical sense I think is like also part of maybe what we're doing when we go hard for things like fry sauce and and funeral potatoes absolutely I, I feel like in Utah we always have this inferiority complex mm. um, and we're constantly trying to be as cool as a coastal state. And, and that's never going to happen. It's just not who we are. But I think the attempt is fun. Mm -hmm. And I think the conversation around it is a lot of fun. And I'm proud of our weird identity. I think that it's, I think you move here and you're like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And then it's a kind of fun adventure to uncover. But you can speak to that better than I can. Mm, maybe. I mean, when I first moved here, one of the first questions I did ask people was like, what is Utah's food? What do we <laughs> what's our like food thing, you know? And because some states, their food thing is very obvious, right? Like you go to Austin, it's like tacos. That's their thing, you know? And I feel like now I could construct the Utah food pyramid. I would put enormous cookies and dirty soda at the top. That would be my pinnacle. Yeah. And then below that, you've got uh, actually, no, the top is just a cookie. Below that, you've got dirty soda and fry sauce. And then I think the base is potatoes, jello and cream. Sure. And how do you feel about that? 
I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see a meat in there, but um, I'm fine with that. I mean, that's not my personal food pyramid, right? But that is sort of, I think, now, if I were introducing someone to the state and they were like, what's Utah's food thing? I would be like, let me, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Because I can actually, I could draw this out for you. And if they were like, what, what is going on here? Would you maybe say like, look, alcohol is not as big a thing here mm-hmm. as it is other places. So to fill that void of what people consume when they're socializing, it's these kind of obscure food choices. Would that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the dessert shop is the Utah bar in in many ways. I don't think it's the Salt Lake bar, but I think it's the Utah bar. I mean, you and I have talked extensively about dirty soda and how it's the drive through soda shop is. I mean, it's I don't want to say it's a placeholder for like coffee shops, because I think those are different cultural things. Right. The coffee shop is where you sit and socialize. The dirty soda is all yeah. about movability. Oh, yeah. It is getting caffeine in your body as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible on the go. Take it with you or like. I mean, I love when people roll up to a gathering with a dirty soda the same way that like I used to roll up to my first class of the day in high school with a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's just like, yeah, I stopped and got one on my way here. Yes, I'm five minutes late. What about it? And it's 8 a.m. and I'm drinking 44 ounces of Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. That's just what we do here. Mm-hmm. And then I think like the potatoes, the jello, the cream, like these are these are traditions from the home. That's about being at home, right? So the top of the pyramid's about going out and the bottom of the pyramid is about being at home. That's family dinner. Oh, yeah. And that's family dinner for a large family. Mm-hmm. Potatoes are feeding a lot of people. Jello, a pan of jello is feeding a lot of people. So there's there's a lot of information to glean about who we are and what our traditions is are and what our history has been by those foods we eat. And I think it's fun to explore. Yeah. Okay, what's your fry sauce recipe? My fry sauce recipe is mayo, ketchup. And if I'm the only one eating it, I'll add relish. Mm. If I'm sharing with other people, I'll just do mayo and ketchup because the relish is divisive between um, my family. What's yours? I kind of said mine at the top. I think it's mayo, it's ketchup, of course, and then it's sriracha and maybe a little pickle juice. Sriracha? I haven't tried the sriracha. I like spice. When I went to uh, Crown Burgers and accosted the manager at a lunch hour and demanded he give me an interview, he took me behind the counter and showed me the giant, the giant that of fry sauce they were making that day. And I, you know, he wasn't going to tell me his, his recipe because it's proprietary, obviously. Yeah. And all of these guys are like that. They're like, listen, we'll tell you there's ketchup. We'll tell you there's mayo. We're not going to tell you what else is in there. Yeah. And I, you know, I did a quick glance around the room and there was some Tabasco sitting on a shelf nearby. So deduce from that what you will. Yeah. Not sriracha, Tabasco. Yeah. And there's is, it's got a little more kick to it. Okay. Okay. Well, I feel validated by that. I feel like now I have to align myself with the Crown Burger Empire because they've validated my fry sauce. Do you want to hear my most controversial take? Yeah. The best thing to dip your fries in is the Kalamata olive dip at the Nordstrom Cafe. <laughs> and I think they're going to kick me out of the state for that opinion. <laughs> I believe you. I've never eaten at the Nord. That's not true. I've gotten a coffee at the Nordstrom Cafe. 
go right. next time you go get the fries and get the I think it's technically called the Kalamata aioli. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering, could we incorporate olives into the fry sauce recipe? Because I think there's something there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to quit journalism and go into the fry sauce <laughs> distribution business because I think I'm on to something. I think you have a real future there. Can I ask you, you one last question? And it's uh, completely related and also completely unrelated. I, can't, I cannot wait. Is there a relationship between the Katsanevas Crown Burger Empire and the new Real Housewife of Salt Lake, Angie Katsanevas? I mean, there has to be. There has to be, right? Yeah. Okay. That was. Uh, yeah, it says a lot about me that that's the first place that my head went. I mean, it's an entire. Um, I honestly feel like that family does not get enough credit for the food empire they have built in the state because it is yeah. phenomenal. Okay. I'm going to look this up. I have to know. Because if she's Crown Burger royalty. royalty. Granddaughter Angie Katsaneva said she's grateful yes. for her heritage. KSL yes. News, baby. Oh, my gosh. Can I tell you my dream? Give that family their own show. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that would be a great show. It would be uh, what's the one they're doing now about candy in Georgia? You know, like give the let let uh, Vanderpump rules. Crown burgers also rules. Uh, it's a crown. It's royalty. They, they yeah, something about the crown. Cra um, yeah, Utah's crown jewels. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited right now. The future it was bright. Yeah, okay. Beyond Crown Burgers, the Katzenevas family is involved in beauty salons, a jewelry store, and other small businesses. So that brings us to Lunatic Fringe, which brings us to the new season of The Real Housewives. And I feel like probably our next episode of City Castle. <laughs> oh my gosh. I will be here. I cannot wait to talk about this. I feel like my whole day just turned around. <laughs> You're welcome. Together, we are quite the reporting team. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like I really bring a somber and uh, well-researched tone to CityCast Salt Lake. So you're welcome, everybody. You do. You really do. Meg, it's been such a joy to spend this time with you. Thank you for being here. Hey, same. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. A little news before we go. Last fall, following the arrival of new census data, all states were required to redraw federal and state district boundaries and maps. The once every 10 years process is called redistricting. And when it's fair, it ensures communities of interest are represented by folks who share their geographical interests. But when the process is not done fairly, well, that's gerrymandering. And many of us are familiar with that word. For the last 10 years, Salt Lake City has been gerrymandered, whereby the city itself is carved into a pinwheel of four federal congressional districts instead of being mapped as one urban community of interest. The second congressional district, for example, stretches from the avenues to St. George. All that to say the redistricting process of 2020 was no different. And Utah's federal, as well as some state, congressional districts were drawn to look like amoebas. 
The Utah State Legislature headed up the process and in doing so rejected maps drawn by an independent commission in favor of drawing their own behind closed doors. In essence, the process of elected officials deciding who their representatives would be instead of a community-driven process whereby we choose them. The result? A lawsuit, of course. A few weeks ago, the League of Women Voters of Utah, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, and a handful of Salt Lake County residents filed a lawsuit against the state, saying Salt Lake County in four congressional districts is not right, and it breaks up communities of interest. Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, whose office oversees our elections, as well as lawyers for House Speaker Brad Wilson and Senate President Stuart Adams, have all released briefs indicating they are digging in on this issue. They said the process is between voters and their electeds and has no place in a courtroom. In essence, that the court should throw the lawsuit out. We should expect this case ready for a trial by July 2023. That's our show today on CityCast Salt Lake. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around this city. Bye. Yeah, you might get really worked up about pickle juice. So we just want to get want to get ahead of that now.